so Shannon's whole family's in Sarnia. Uh, do you know where Sarnia is, Lawrence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Shannon's whole family's there, and as I'm driving through, um, uh, there was an interview on about uh, Chris Hadfield. I guess he was back in the area, you know, the, the astronaut Chris Hadfield. Yeah, of course. Uh, really interesting. Uh, there were they, one of those questions that everybody should have asked in an interview, but nobody did. Uh, they said, like, why did you become an astronaut? And one of those questions you would think everybody would have asked, but for some reason, nobody ever had, right? And his answer was fantastic. He said, well, I'm claustrophobic. I just needed to get a little space. Oh, my. <laughs> a little. You got a whole lot of space. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You're listening to What's That Noise, the podcast that pursues matters of confusion and clarity, however and whatever that means. What do you call a cow with three legs? What? Lean beef. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't pretend to be able to, to play oh. at the same caliber as you. No. Are, but that's, that's about as best. That's as good got. one. I'll, I, yeah, I like that one a lot. That's good one. That's good one. I had heard about no, uh, a cow with no legs, but not with three legs. The, oh, okay. the, the cow with no legs is called ground beef. Ah, oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, totally yeah, yeah. Logical, right? yeah. <laughs> if we ever get to do a series, I hope that they all start with a cow joke. <laughs> oh man, I am. I'm really excited for this episode. for For quite a while, Al and I were talking about trying to um, talk to folk in, in different indigenous communities about mm-hmm. really, really important subject matter, and there is no shortage of things to talk about. And, and one of the things that I wanted to talk about today was was digital identity because Lawrence and I have been been talking for what the better part of six or seven months now yeah i think so yeah yeah and and, at least yeah yeah and so i'm gonna have you introduce yourself in a a second lawrence but um i wanted to quickly acknowledge first that al and i are speaking from we're recording from the traditional unceded territories of the anishinaabek atawander and haudenosaunee and wendat peoples and um i've i've actually done uh, a land acknowledgement with lawrence before and it, it made me quite nervous you know, because I've never actually had to do one to an Indigenous person before. And uh, Lawrence and I, over the, the time that we've been talking, he's been been gracious and, and patient enough with me to just just straight up ask, like, what, is it, what does that even mean? Right. You know, we, yeah. we, there's two white guys here, super right. conservative city, little London, Ontario, Canada, and I have this opportunity to talk to my new buddy Lawrence mm-hmm. about things that I've never really, really taken the time to understand, but also to see what kind of impact it has. And it's not quite about digital identity, but this is digitally mediated. And so right, I've been right. wondering, like, what, do you have any thoughts about land acknowledgements when you hear two white guys like this make them over a podcast, Lawrence? Yeah. No, I, uh, and, and actually let me start as well from, I'm coming to you from Victoria, which is the traditional territory of the Songhees and the Squamouth folks and the... Um, uh, and, and their unceded traditional territories and the Lekwungen-speaking people. So very, you know, very, very... Um, uh, privilege to be coming to you from this beautiful place on the west coast of Canada, inside their traditional territories, and living and working and playing here, and 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 leading a pretty pretty good life here inside of their, you know, unceded unceded territories, um, uh, and 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 acknowledge that the, you know, the impact of colonialization and and, and all of us kind of now commingling and living together has. You know, been generations uh, long, right? Uh, you know, several hundred. You know, I guess we're almost at you know almost over a hundred years now. 
and the impacts of those things run very, very deep, you know, to the heart and soul of who we are as Indigenous people. And so, you know, the land acknowledgement component is really, um, really, really important uh, to do. Uh, and so I, I acknowledge uh, the, the, I always acknowledge the intent there of doing that, of making those kind of statements. Um, and then, and then once you make them though, um, you know, what's the truth behind that? How are you as an individual and you as an organization actually leave, living and breathing and working, uh, in that space? You've just made space to acknowledge this, uh, and to recognize this. But if it is, if it is something that is done, um, just as a political exercise, right? I'm being politically correct in doing this, but the rest of your life and your work, uh, has no impact on that. Uh, then I think it's a bit weak. I think it's mm -hmm. a bit, you know, I think it's a bit much, right? Um, these things need to come from uh, places of uh, love and respect uh, and mm -hmm. and reconciliation, right? Because uh, if they don't, then then you are you are you are you are just as much of the problem uh, uh, as anything else, right? Because it's false. It's a false statement, and we've had enough of those. We've had a, we've had a long history of false statements and false promises and <laughs> false gifts and all kinds of things. So. <laughs> Um, you know, that's, that's really my, you know, that's really my comment there is that, you know, it's important to do, uh, if, if your heart is true, your space is true, and you're actually doing some work that kind of, you know, helps with reconciliation. If you're not, uh, you know, step away from the podium. Right? There, there, uh, I had a, a great experience last year working with, uh, our inter-county baseball league, uh, the London majors. And, uh, when they started their, their year last year, uh, I was introduced to a gentleman named Tyler French. And Tyler French uh, later on told me, he said, I don't really like being called that because that's kind of my English name. That's uh, that's not really what I go by. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, you know, forgive me. That's how I was introduced to you. And then he goes, no, 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 no. There's no offense, but uh, I prefer to go by my, my native name. And I asked him, okay, like, please, can you tell me what that is? Now, this may be the coolest name that's ever been been given, Blue Thunderbird. And and I'm like, yeah. Well, no wonder you want to be called Blue Thunderbird. I'd want to be called that too. But <laughs> um, but but I learned so much from him because he would come to every every majors game, and he would help out, you know, with with stuff behind the behind the scenes and everything like that. But his mom and dad, uh, his dad was an OPP officer, and uh, uh, his mom still lived, lives on the reserve, and and uh, uh, he is trying to build the first ever First Nations owned museum. Hmm. And uh, it's obviously not an easy thing to do, but it was the first time that, like, as he was telling me about his life, that I realized how empty a lot of the claims are that we make, uh, just to your point, Lawrence. Because, like he was saying, he's trying to run up, uh, start up a business. Every time he makes a phone call, he has to drive to London. And I said, well, why is that? Oh, we don't have cell service out there. Yeah. But it works out well because I can buy water while I'm here. What do you mean you, have, you can buy water? Well, we can't drink the water out there. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, like we just, we just did like a whole, whole big thing on, on talking about how we need to, to do better and nobody's changed anything. It feels like, right. And so uh, like, but that was my yeah. big eye opener just to kind of what you were saying is that we need, like when we do these land claims, it's one thing to say the words. It's another thing to really sit down and try to understand not just what those words mean, but why we're saying them, right. There, that, that kind of needs to be the next step, right. Yeah, I think so. You know, my uh, my grandfather, uh, you know, one of my biggest teachers growing up, and yeah, you know, he was uh, well, worlds of wisdom inside this this fellow. Um, you know, horrible father to his own son, but a great grandfather. Mm. Uh, and he, he, you know, he he was a 
uh, participant in the residential school, right? So a victim of that whole process. So, you know, he, he, he became a father not having any idea how, you know, he was never fathered, right? So he doesn't know how to mm. be a father. Mm. Great grandfather in the sense that he was a, you know, an educator and he's very stern, right? But, uh, uh, you know, I'm also the oldest son of the oldest son of the oldest son. So yeah, I was pretty, <laughs> right, I was yeah. pretty privileged as an indigenous young man, right? The people were look, there was a whole community looking after me. Mm-hmm making sure that I, you know, got the right kind of guidance and support uh, as I grew up. Um, uh, but my grandfather, you know, a couple of things, he, you know, he would always just say, you've got to go do the work, right? You can't just talk about crap and shit. You've actually got to go out there and do the heavy lifting. You've got to go do the work. The real measure of you as a man will be the work you do, not the accolades you get, not, no, not all these other things, but the actual work you do that causes change and lifts our people up. And so, you know, your mission in life really is, to go out there and do the work that lifts our people up. Don't worry about anything else. Just do the work, right? Um, that's what will give you peace. That's what will, you know, give you a nice life. That's what will make you happy. That's what will um, satisfy your purpose and give you uh, uh, just a sense of identity and who you are and why you are here. Like, you know, you got to answer that question. Why am I here on this planet? And mm. then you got you to make that call and then you got to go to work, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think it's easy for, you know, folk like, um, like Al and I to answer that question, you know, given our privilege and being on a certain side of colonialism and mm. imperialism. All, uh, being on the right side of basically any ism. We, yeah. are, we, we have been on the right <laughs> yeah. side of every ism. No, no, matter, what, no matter what trajectory uh, history heads in. White we, heterosexual male. Yeah. I am on every side of ism that has ever... <laughs> yeah, and, and so like the occasion of us coming together, um, I, I think the key word for, for me anyways, when you were talking about, you know, you're giving your response rather... Uh, to the land acknowledgement, Lawrence was reconciliation. And as as you, the two of you have been talking the last few minutes, you know, my, my my mind has been really racing. There's so much ambiguity. There's so much confusion. There's so much noise out there about the yeah. endless number of issues, the endless number of gaps and disconnects between Canada and First Nations across across the the land from coast to coast. And uh, it, it's hard to know where to start. And this is one of the things I was wrestling with. And, and actually inviting you to come on the show, Lawrence. And so for today, because I, I hope that we can do this more often than once, maybe, maybe turn this into a series, see yeah, how it goes, sure. yeah. if you're interested. Um, Don't give them an option. We're, this is a series, <laughs> Lawrence. Uh, breaking news here on the What's That Noise podcast. <laughs> Where do I sign? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but maybe we should start... I wanted to start, I should say, it more in, in Lawrence's wheelhouse in terms of who he is as a professional and the contributions that he's making as an individual. You were talking about the, the, the work that you like to do, what's meaningful to you, the contribution you make to Indigenous people in this country and your community uh, immediately around you, which is also as much in where he lives physically, but also in the digital space. And this is where things get particularly confusing, but really, really important. So before we actually go any further and we start talking about digital identity and, and uh, Lawrence's wonderful company, One Feather, would you mind just introducing yourself a touch? I know yeah, we're already course. like 10 minutes into the <laughs> yeah. show. And we haven't done this yet, but please the, the, the tell poor us a listener right now going, oh crap, I fast forwarded. I don't know who the guy is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny, you know, you start talking about things that you're really passionate about and you just get right into yeah, it. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, my name's Lawrence Lewis. I'm the founder of One Feather. I'm from the Wee K Nation here on Vancouver Island, which, you know, folks may know from the history text more as the Quagyult people, but that's not 
that's not accurate at all. In fact, the Quagyoth are another tribe, so it's part of the Kwakwakiwak uh, folks here on the West Coast. Uh, my Indian name is Kalis, uh, and I was named uh, to Rakama Potlatch for, uh, uh, by Chief uh, Kwaksistala. And what that name means is a whale uh, near the beach. Um, and the intent, I, you know, the, the story behind that name from, from, from what it has was told to me, to me was, is really someone there who's, um, you know, the whale symbolizes um, uh, responsibility, uh, strength, uh, ownership, uh, and purpose. And so, you know, that my role there uh, is to really, like I was indicated, to do that heavy lifting, to do that work. Uh, whatever it is that I decide to do in a way that kind of supports and lifts up our people. So that, that, that whale is a really important component in our culture and in our, in our social fabric and our, and our community. And so that just symbolizes um, because that whale is near the beach uh, and near the community, right? So near the community is there to kind of, um, uh, I think oversee is too strong of a word, but to be visible and present uh, and contribute mm-hmm. in a meaningful and, and proper way, right? So thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to be here today. It's a real pleasure. In my language, we'd say Gilakasla, Gilakasla. Yeah, Very cool. You. You're the founder of One Feather. I found out about One Feather when I was working um, uh, for the uh, Privacy Commissioner of Ontario last year. Oh, you knew this. yes. Yeah, I, yeah, I hope yeah, that yeah. you did know this. I, I, I did, but it's it, I like if you told me what the uh, what the origin story was. I wouldn't, I don't think I would have put it all together, but now it, now it's coming back my, to me. My yeah. career path has yes. no, yeah, it yeah, just yeah, sort yeah. of goes where it wants. Yeah. I just know a whole lot of people from a whole lot of things is kind of what we know Tom as. Yeah. I had this really, really incredible role at the privacy commissioner's office. I got to specialize. Well, I'll be a little more modest than that. I got to spend all of my time focusing on one technology to learn as much as I could about an emerging technology that we were seeing uh, become more important throughout the pandemic because it was seen as a kind of solution to uh, the fact that we couldn't be physically close to one another, something that would enable communications and connections uh, between the physical and the digital world. And that uh, technology was called digital identity. And as I was researching it, I discovered more and more that there were some potentially huge implications, not for me as a white man from London, Ontario, Canada, Mm -hmm. let me tell you, but for people who are not Canadian per se, people who are refugees, people who have just come to the country, but more importantly, indigenous people. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, back even in, in the fall of 2021, when you're online and you're researching digital identity, and you're trying to make sense of an emerging technology, so not something that's necessarily proven, but something that's been in the woodwork, so to speak, for a long time, where uh, <laughs> private sector organizations, civil society, government, indigenous communities... Indigenous tech leaders like Lawrence Lewis should be coming together to have these conversations. You start seeing that there are perhaps really, really important voices that should be contributing to, uh, you know, exposing where the guardrails needed to be for this technology, what kinds of policies, legislative pieces need to be in place. And most importantly, I think, who should be consulted about building a system like this in a way that is inclusive and equitable and progressive. In whatever mm-hmm. sense that means. Right. And this is actually how Lawrence and I were introduced to one another. And so, um, Lawrence, would, would you mind just telling us a little bit more about what One Feather does in terms of uh, the, the technical and the technological uh, services that you provide? And then maybe we could bridge into talking a little bit more about digital identity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, One Feather, you know, was founded uh, really around the principles of 
creating digital access, right? And and we started off actually in a, in a in a in an event called Tribal Journeys, where One Feather was the the lead um, communication tool. So we actually developed this communication platform, and so we went on this Tribal Journeys. And for the for your listeners who don't know what that is, that's a it's a gathering on the West Coast here of tribal families from uh, from all over, you know, across the Pacific, actually. So we actually get folks that come from New Zealand, as far away as New Zealand and Australia, who paddle across uh, in Hawaii and Alaska. Oh, wow. Um, and in this instance, we were converging on Hiltzik. So there's, you know, probably seven or 8,000 uh, tr- uh, canoe families that uh, people who showed up as part of these canoe families who participate in this journey. And, and we were developing this technology, One Feather at the time became this communication platform. Uh, 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 for for the families, and for the first time, these families could go on a travel journey uh, and be connected to each other through our app, right? So they could actually talk to each other. And from a safety perspective, and from a communication perspective, it was really powerful stuff, right? Like we were able to, you know, connect people along that journey who otherwise wouldn't know your status until you arrived at the point you needed to be at, right? So there'd be like 10, 12, 20 days where you didn't hear from anybody, and you're like, "Is everybody okay?" So oh what we, goodness. you know, we provide this amazing solution. And it was just sucked up during that event, right? Like during that event, it was just amazing the impact we had there. And then post-event, interesting thing happened. Nobody used the app, right? So we had this event happening where this family, people were communicating, but post-event, uh, no one actually used the app. It's it's almost like uh, when people go to camp or something like that, and we're like, we're going to be the best friends forever. And then, you know, <laughs> you get back yeah, and you're yeah, like, yeah, who was yeah, that yeah. guy? I don't even remember his yeah, name. yeah, yeah. 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 So here we are trying to create this, you know, platform that's going to bring communities together. And then, you know, post-event, we realized that we cannot compete with, you know, at the time, the Facebooks of the world, right? Uh, and I forget what the other ones were, but folks then reverted back to their kind of traditional communication channels online, right? Um, so Facebook, for example. So it got me thinking, like, man, oh, man, like, how, you know, what are the anchors we're going to build to bring, you know, to define what this space looks like for Indigenous folks? And so we reached out to those partic- some of those participants and said, hey, we want to build a platform that is going to build our communities and bring our people together and, and, and create a pathway where we as Indigenous people can, identi- can define what this space looks like for us. Because if we don't do this work, we don't do this heavy lifting, other companies will. So Facebook will decide what, you know, what digital identity looks like and how it's used. Or Twitter or whoever else, to, you know, whoever else might be on the scene there, right? So the feedback we got overwhelmingly was, wouldn't it be cool if we could use this technology to vote in our community elections? And that kind of light bulb went off and we pivoted, right? So let's build technology where, let's build on what we have now and let's build this place and space where folks can actually vote in their chief and council elections using digital voting. Um, so if we flash forward, you know, to 2015, we actually, you know, build this, we, 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 we build this technology and we launch it for the first time on a land code vote a community here on Vancouver Island, um, and tremendously successful, right? That that vote had uh, 78% of their community voted electronically oh, for the wow. first time in that, oh, in that wow. lab, right? And we actually sat at a polling station for two days and 11 people showed up. <laughs> so most people, right? Most people chose to vote electronically. And, wow. you know, so I was like, okay, we found a recipe here that's going to work, right? That was the first that's indicator. That's incredible. So if we flash forward now, today, you know, we work with over 235 First Nations in 2021 alone, we did over 300 voting events and had over 30,000 people, Indigenous folks vote, 37,000 vote electronically and everything from, you know, chief and council elections to land code votes to major settlement votes with Canada, uh, you know, all kinds of things, right? And really what we've done here is we've we've leveled the playing field, right? You don't need to, you know, we've removed the barriers to participation. So we've removed geography, we've removed, we've removed time and money issues. 
health issues, political issues. Like we've redefined that whole experience for a whole community of people. And so when we talk about, you know, what is Indigenous identity, it's redefining that experience from an Indigenous perspective that makes sense to us. So, you know, through that lived experience and through that Indigenous lens. And so that's really what this is about. Let's do the work to redefine this from this Indigenous perspective. And let's be really, um, let's be really aggressive. Let's be really, let's not be afraid to take risks. Let's be okay with failure. Let's push the envelope. Let's make some mistakes. Let's learn some things we don't know. Um, and at the same time, you know, uh, taking that feedback loop, if you like, with our clients and our users, what's working, what's not working, what are you happy about, what are you not happy about? Uh, and at the same time, take some guidance from Canada. Although we like to pull them along rather than be reactive to what they've got going on, right? <laughs> that sounds like a, a heavy haul. That's a, a big... <laughs> goes goes out on a mic drop and then just chugs his coffee. I love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's incredible. It, th- so many things uh, illuminated for me when you were explaining that. Um, I've studied digital identity for, for a long time when I was going through my professional training. And uh, I mean that in like the lower lowercase d, lowercase i, not capital D. I. I'm going to make that distinction in a minute because it's really important. But like I, I've never actually taken the time to think about digital identity in terms of uh, who you are online based upon what you can't do. You know, oh you're, ta- gosh, you're just talking yeah. about leveling the playing field right? and being yeah, able to yeah. uh, do that in the context of creating access to services that Canadians would have regardless. Mm-hmm. To think about who you are in terms of your ability to do what other people had already been doing. It, 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 it's really, it really illuminates so many political implications and the lopsidedness. That's the thing about privilege, right? You don't know you got it unless somebody points it out, right? It, but, but, but I bet, <laughs> right. but I, I, I think we're like, and then, and then watch how, how quickly they react. No, I don't. Yeah. The, uh, um, but, uh, you brought up, a uh, both of you are kind of making my mind, mind kind of go in circles right now, because I, I think this is really interesting when you talk about, uh, uh, to you about not having a digital identity kind of helping define your digital identity, right? Like that's kind of like this, this, wow, that's a paradox. It's kind of making my mind blown. But then I'm also looking, and from your perspective, Lawrence, what's really interesting as well is how secluded some of the areas that, that so many uh, Indigenous peoples will be living in you would need almost an app in order to communicate with people because you're looking at, you know, miles away, you're looking at um, uh, different internet uh, problems or, or, or communication issues and everything like that. And, and that right away means the Facebook model doesn't necessarily support everybody. And we wouldn't know that unless we were kind of face-to-face with kind of that, that same problem, that, that paradox that you were talking about, that your mm-hmm. digital identity is defined by your lack of digital what identity. Is, what does the digital identity look like in the, the classic colonial Western everyday yeah. user sense? What, is it, what does it look like for non-Indigenous versus Indigenous people? And I want to put that question to you, I'm not going to sleep all week. You guys are going to keep me up wrestling with these <laughs> hey, thoughts for the rest of the week. When I asked you problem? if you wanted to co-host on the yeah. show, I told you it was going to happen. And I've been really looking forward to a conversation Jeez, like this Louise. for that reason. I hope you don't sleep. So I'm going to need a there you nap. Go. Oh my gosh, yeah. I got to sit down it's, here. It's complicated, right? It's all very complex. And, and you know, I, I, you know, I got I to lead with this kind of comment, first of all, that um, we're doing very specific work here in this digital space. And I just want to acknowledge right away that, you know, what we're doing here does not work for everybody, right? you know, even in Indigenous communities, right? There's just not a readiness for this work. 
And so, and that's okay, right? That's totally fine. Um, and, and we often say to our clients, you know, the work we're doing here is not a silver bullet. It's not going to fix anything. It's not going to fix anything. What it's going to do is going to give you a tool to do better governance and do better communication and, and, and to enhance, you know, if used properly and responsibly, mm-hmm. it will have an impact and it will make a difference. But in and of itself, it has no life. It has no nothing. It's just a technology. Uh, and your readiness for this is 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 really kind of important. And because this space is so complex, I mean, to Al's point, there are communities that have no connectivity, or the only connectivity is through the band office. You know, we'll go into a community, and and um, you know, I went into this community up north, and we're driving in, and there's 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 kids sitting on the roof of the band office, and I'm like, whoa, what's going on? Like, what's what are these kids up there? That's the only place they can get Wi-Fi access. Oh come right? on, they're gonna steal oh, it from the band on. office, no right? Way. And the, and they figured out that the best reception is at this point on the, on roof, the roof, right? So these you know, so they've they've been very ingenious to figure this stuff out. You know, problem solve, but entrepreneurs in the making, right. right? Up there to find the best connectivity, right? If he was a real entrepreneur, um, he would look over and say, I'm gonna build a balcony up here. For, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a challenge. And, and you know, and and just the complexity of all the First Nations communities in, in the country ha- are functioning at different levels of capacity and resources. Some of these are, they're too busy just surviving to worry about the niceties and the, and the, and the, and the, and the, and the, the pleasures of having a Wi-Fi connection. Mm-hmm. So yeah. again, like the, we're, we're, we're learning so much. I think Al and I are learning so much and our listeners as well about like, it, attaching digital identity to the things that you can't have. I mean, mm, if you're listening yeah. to the show right now and you're not recognizing your privilege by virtue of the fact that you have all these things and you've never been in a position yeah. to not have them, you're not listening properly mm-hmm. or you're choosing not to comprehend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We just lost half of our listeners. Yeah, right I was there, just going to say, yeah, you're <laughs> going to deal with those angry emails, not yeah. me. There's, there's, yeah. There's, yeah. There's, a, there's a depth here though that I think is really significant. And what I'm getting at is this. When, when I go on, and I haven't done this in a while because I've deleted most all of my social media. Mm. Um, when, when I signed up for Facebook or I signed up for an Instagram account or whatever, the, the fields that you enter information in are the ones that Mm. I traditionally attribute to my quote unquote digital identity. I upload a photo, then ask me my first name, then ask me my last name. And then over time it gets uh, a little bit more sophisticated. Oh, now you need to put in your phone number. Why the hell do I need to put my phone number (laughs) out to Zuckerberg? Well, we're going to use it for two factor authentication to protect your digital identity. Yeah. So from who? From, yeah. <laughs> the NSA, I don't know, but the RCMP. <laughs> yeah. But that that what the point I'm trying to make though is that those fields somehow resonate with me. Uh, now I, I understand the extent to which the corporation and the social media platform model sort of socializes and normalizes what the digital identity looks like because everybody has to fit that mold. Is it mm-hmm. is it comparable? For indigenous people, do you think in your experience, can people, can indigenous people go and sign up for Facebook and feel as though those fields accurately reflect who they are and what it is that they're trying to represent online? Yeah, no, let's, 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 let's be just really clear here that, that, that data is all being collected so that Mark Zuckerberg can sell advertising and, and target people's, you know, target folks who are participating in that space so that him and his shareholders can make some money. And, and, and I hope not, not something more nefarious, like, you know, rule the world, right? Um, so it, no, it, it's, uh, no, I think, and I think what we've tried to do is, is, is come from a place where we're only taking the information we need for you to participate and you have total control over that. So that's the other part about, 
you know, digital identity and why we add the word sovereign at the front end of that, right? You actually own and control this identity. You can take it away from us at any point in time, right? And that's the, you know, that's where the trust comes in and that truth comes in, you know, truth to power, right? This is, you are using this platform of your own free will and you can, you can turn off components, all or portions of it at any point in time. Um, and you can use this digital space in a way that works for you. And if you're not happy with certain components, you can turn those off or you can turn the whole thing off. But the sovereignty element of it, right? So when we talk about digital identity, we're always very, very quick to add the word sovereign because as an individual, uh, that digital identity is not yours unless you own it, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do we protect the sovereignty of that? Me as an individual inside of Canada, but also me as an individual with the First Nation. And it's interesting because... Indigenous folks are the only regulated population in the country, right? Part of their identity is actually owned by Canada. It's not owned by the individual. Like it's actually legislated under the Indian Act, right? Your registry number, your status number, your date of birth. Those, those pieces of identity are actually owned by Canada. That's backwards. Not by the individual, not right? right? Yeah. So as a regulated population, that's, that's the thing. Uh, the intent there, I think, you know, was that as Indigenous folks, you'd be able to use that regulated identity to take advantage of the benefits and entitlements and, and things that come along with that Indigenous relationship with Canada over the, over the you know, the last hundred years or so, right? Because Canada, like these territories and tradition, these traditional territories are on, all unseated. And, and, you know, in a quick summary or in a, in a quick kind of, you know, summary of that, uh, that relationship exists uh, because Indigenous folks gave all of that wealth and treasure to hold in trust by the Canadian government. I'm simplifying that. And as a result of that, that trust, uh, of, of Canada holding that wealth and trust, we all, you know, intent was to live in peace and, and live collaboratively and live together. Uh, and that when Indigenous folks needed to access that wealth and trust, Canada would make it available to them, right? Um, uh, it seems it's all of ass backwards, but that's, that's how we got here. Uh, the reality is, though, is that that doesn't happen, or it happens in a very kind of, you know... Because uh, otherwise you wouldn't have kids sitting on a band council roof yeah. trying to get Wi-Fi. No, if, if, if anybody wants, wants uh, I, I say humorous in the way that the person wrote it, um, but if you want to have a look at how tangled of a web everything is, uh, the book is called An Inconvenient Indian by, oh, I'm drawing a blank on his name, King... Um, Oh, it'll come to me later. But in it, he says, you know, he goes through the history of everything. And then he starts to say, okay, so I hear your argument. Let's just, we can't repair the past. Let's just then focus on current stuff. And then he starts to go in on the current stuff. And then you realize it's messier now than it was for crying out loud hundreds <laughs> oh, of yeah, years yeah, ago yeah, for yeah, crying yeah, out loud. Yeah. Uh, the, the name will come back to me and I'll, 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 uh, I'll get it, uh, the author and, and forgive me for, for not having it top of mind. But um, I, I read that last summer and that was kind of like my eye opening of this is a mess like this. And, and that, like, I mean, then you start thinking, well, this was hundreds of years ago. No, it was Jean Chrétien and it was uh, Trudeau and like all of these. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a second. These are names of people that have been in power in my lifetime. This was not that long ago. Um, yeah, exactly. but, uh, but, but yeah, like, I mean, I, I think just your point, right? Like it, people want this simplistic thing, but uh, the, the only way to do it is oversimplify explanations. But then you also recognize after you oversimplify it that you've left out key parts that have led to where things are right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think this is why the digital identity thing is so important. If, if you recall from a moment ago, I, I made a distinction between like lowercase d, mm -hmm. lowercase i digital identity. 
which means that there's something on the other side, Please which is do, yeah. capital D, capital I. And this is something that I wanted to drill into a little bit more. So this is where we're going to make our pivot because this is where things get particularly confusing. So acknowledging entirely that the question of digital identity, you know, for white people, for the rest of the population in this country and the rest of the continent in Western Europe, um, digital identity conceptually, theoretically is very, very messy. You know, who, who gets to constitute that, how they build it, what technologies and techniques that they use to do that how the data are used to enable certain uh, services or product lines or certain kinds of entertainment, surveillance, profit, so on and so forth. It's very, very political. It's very, very messy to begin with. Mm -hmm. But then like, there's also the question of indigenous identity. And Lawrence was just telling us that he can't speak for everybody because there is so much nuance and sophistication mm. in indigenous identity, right? But now, mm -hmm. now we move over to this capital D, capital I, di digital identity. And now I'm talking about a technology. I'm talking about a specific technology. So I'm going to give my quick understanding of what I think that thing is from the research that I did at the Privacy Commissioner's Office. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to lean on Lawrence to, to help me out a little bit along the way. The, the technology existed well before the pandemic. It's been iterated on. It's been talked about for quite a while. But what digital identity... Uh, is um, for people who are listening that might be familiar with it. We've seen some articles come out during the pandemic and the Toronto Star that was accusing the system that the Ontario government was building as being a surveillance system. Mm -hmm. What the system essentially is, is this. Can you replace your physical, physical identity cards, like your license, with something that you can keep on your phone? A digital identity. <laughs> capital D, capital I, digital identity. Right. So that seems simple enough, right? <laughs> Can I just like... Seems like, what could go wrong? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why, why not keep a, a, a virtual passport on your phone that you could just show to like a bartender if you wanted to show your age or whatever, right? To get, to get booze. I, or when you go to the, the amount that I forget my phone, <laughs> this would be a disaster. <laughs> a disaster. Okay, so you're, you're definitely going to fall through the cracks. So you can just take my phone with you from yeah, now on. <laughs> I have no money nor proof of anybody who I am. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Hey, that, that's pretty scary. You lose your phone and you cease to exist. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's yeah, a new yeah, rabbit hole, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there's yeah. a lot more to it than just keeping the, the digital card on the phone. You need an entire technological scaffolding, this massive architecture behind it in order to make this work. So mm -hmm. I'll give you like a very, very high level, cheap overview of what that means. You have to apply to get that thing. Remember, these systems aren't proven to work yet. They're, they're being iterated on. They're being talked about. The governments of our country and our province have been talking about this for a while. Mm -hmm. When you apply to get a digital identity, you would have to get a digitized version of a proven identity, a physical identity that you already have. So if you have a driver's license, right, or you have a birth certificate, and you've got uh, what else am I missing? A health, health card. card? Yeah, yeah, okay. Passport. So, yeah, something. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have physical versions of those, but you can't just take a picture of them and then carry it around and say that's your digital identity. It still needs to get verified by the government or the person who issued it. Maybe right. it's a bank or something like that, or mm -hmm. maybe it's like a sports club. They yeah. need to to be involved in the process of verifying that. And you want to do that in a secured, protected way. So you bring in some cryptography and you build a specialized database that can't be messed with. No one can go in and change anything. And then once that process happens and it's proven that, you know, the applicant is who they say they are and they are actually using a piece of ID that hasn't expired. And I know we'll come back to this. Yeah. Um, then they will send you something verified, a verified credential. They call it a VC that you'll keep on your phone. And then, you know, you can log into your bank account online, uh, 
you know, without the extra hurdles of like a password and all that, or you can go to the LCBO to buy your booze and be like, Hey, here's my passport that I didn't actually have to bring with me because it's digitized. And you can scan that as an organization to prove like that, that you are who you say you are. Okay. Now these systems are built for who? You and me. me. I was just going to say, privileged white folk like Pri- myself. Privileged yeah. white folk. And, right. and this this is the, the moment of the conversation that I've been really, really excited about because I've had this conversation with Lawrence in the past. So I'm going to put the question out there to you, my <laughs> friend. How much of what I just described makes sense to you and does it work for Indigenous people in as far as you've seen? Well, I think yes and no. I think, um, you know, we... Uh, you know, it's just, it's so, I'm, I'm almost overwhelmed a little by the question, right? Because it's, <laughs> it's, a, loaded uh, it's a loaded question, right? Um, and, and maybe I'll answer it this way. I mean, we look at, you know, sovereign indigenous digital identity from really kind of two, two kind of focal points, if you like. One, what allows us to participate in the mainstream in a way that allows us to lift our people up. And so we remove all those barriers to participation, whatever that looks like. And then how do we redefine that experience from an Indigenous perspective? How do we ensure that social and cultural elements um, can be um, captured in a similar way? And, and we don't have all the easy answers to those things. It's, it's hard and it's complicated. You know, I indicated that my Indian name was Klaalis, and and I've said that here and I've said it publicly, but you have no way to verify that that's accurate or that's true. Right. And so some of the things we wrestle with a little bit is, okay, um, from a social and cultural perspective, our culture and our names and our songs all have value. Those are treasures in our community. They have real tangible worth. How can we use this space um, to provide um, uh, uh, digital verification of that? Right. We're all existing in this digital space now. How can we do that in a way? How can I, you know, and we wrestle this as part of identity. Like, it, you know, we, you, and we've seen examples of folks who claim indigenous ancestry um, and, and connection when none exists, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's no way to verify that that was actually accurate or not, right? And so, you know, and, and how you define when an indigenous name is actually attributed. I mean, I was given a name in a, in a potlatch with 500 people who witnessed that. Uh, it's valid. It's it's real. Um, and that's but, that's you know, part of like the the formal process of, of being verified uh, yeah. as an sorry, indigenous. Sorry, and I just I just need to backtrack. Sorry, you you got that name verified in a, in a what was the ceremony called? It was called a it's it's called a potlatch. It's a okay. it's a big house or a traditional ceremony. Oh, okay, it's a gotcha. Ceremony, right? Okay. So we're, we were there. So you know, there's 500 people there that witnessed that name being given to me by Chief Guaxi Stella. Um, so there's a, there's a record of that, right? It, it can be, it's verifiable. Um, but, you know, in, in a modern context, if you're urban, you live, you know, you don't live in community or, 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 you know, you have some other kind of ownership as a result of that experience or as a part of your kind of position in the family, whatever that might look like from community to community. How does that get moved down in a secure way? We see these kind of hijacking of indigenous identity across uh, across all aspects, right? From from art to commerce to whatever, right? How do we protect that? Um, how do we use this digital space to help solve that riddle? We're still working through that. We don't have an easy answer for that. Um, so when we look at that, you know, capital I, you know, capital D digital identity, a sovereign indigenous digital identity, how are we making sure that this matters from an indigenous perspective? But also, and, and through that indigenous perspective, how are we making sure that you're able to access and be a part of uh, the rest of the rest of society in a way that removes barriers to your participation? Right. So, you know, you're you're probably aware of that example out here on the west coast where that Hiltzik tribal el- that Hiltzik elder and his granddaughter yes, were. Yes, I this was literally just thinking. About this. Yeah, basically.
basically arrested at the at the Bank of Montreal because they're trying to access some wealth that was made available to them as a result of a settlement with Canada. And their nation, you know, was making a disbursement, we call a per capita disbursement, you know, as a result of the settlement, here is some wealth for you, uh, you can go access it at this bank. Uh, so he, him and his granddaughter walked in and tried to do that. And they were immediately racially profiled um, and basically, you know, not given any opportunity. You know, their status card was not recognized as a piece of identity. Like this federal piece of, this federal piece of identity was not recognized. And it's, you know, for your listeners, that, 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 that status card is equivalent to a passport. Mm-hmm. Like it is that level of federal identity, right? It was not recognized and they were immediately kind of isolated and, and, and handcuffed, right? And, 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 and detained, um, and embarrassed that whole process. And so we immediately were thinking, how can we remove all of that from that? Ex- how can we remove all of that experience, right? That's, 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 you know, that's human beings making decisions that are, are, you know, are grounded in, uh, you know, racial elements, inconvenient truths, if we want to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or inconvenient Indian, if you like, we want to use, yeah. ta- if you want to use Thomas out. King's. I can't remember <laughs> who the King's author is, it's driving <laughs> yeah. me crazy. Tom, Thomas King. Thomas King, Indian. yes, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. I missed it. I said inconvenient truth, which was, I think, a almost president uh, thing. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, I mean, you know, how can we how can we remove the human element, and how can we use technologies to lift our people up? And so, you know, one feather has created this ability for you to create a digital bank account without ever having to set foot in a bank and get issued a, a traditional banking solution. And now you can participate in that space. And you know, and for the record, you know, forty percent of Indigenous people in this country are on bank because they can't open a bank account. They don't have the identification and the, uh, uh, or, the, or, you know, there's all kinds of barriers for them to do that. They can't get to a bank, you know, cause they live in a remote community. They can't, you know, take any kind of digital payments. They can't receive any digital payments. Um, how do we level that playing field? Well, let's redefine that whole experience from that indigenous perspective, um, uh, and, and see what we can do there. I think the challenge and the risk, uh, and I think it become full circle to, you know, where's our responsibility here, uh, in this is to create that truth center and that trust center. Um, and it's not, it's not an easy, it's very complex as well. And it's not easy. And we, and we don't take this very lightly and we struggle with it. And we stress about this all the time. Like, how do we, you know, we're one feather, we're one company. We're not, we don't have any mandate from, you know, 600 nations to do this, but so we are, we are pushing the boundaries here. We're pushing limitations here. We are setting the stage for setting a table, if you like, for conversations and dialogue and discussions around how to do that as we do the work. And my grandfather, you know, he's like, you got to go out there. You got to be, um, you've got to be, you know, you've got to be, you got to take some risks. You have to be, um, you have to use ingenuity. And he used to, he used to laugh, say, what's the root word of ingenuity? The engine, right? Like that's, you know, you got to have a sense of humor at all this too, right? You can't take yourself too seriously, right? Uh, so have some fun, you know, uh, and if you, you, if you have any moments with indigenous folks, you know, they got a crazy sense of humor, right? Yeah. Like, um, so let's laugh whenever we can, but, you know, so do some work here, um, uh, and, uh, and redefine what that experience looks like Lawrence, from your experience, right? Lawrence, you brought up a, a really excellent point and, and let, let's use this example of, of, of the people getting arrested at the, uh, at the bank. I, I, I remember very, very clearly being so embarrassed and ashamed of myself. Back when I was in high school, I had a job at, at Blockbuster Video. Mm-hmm. And a gentleman came in with a, a status card and said, yeah, I, I don't pay tax on, on, on that. And I remember being frustrated, not at the gentleman or, or anything like that, but because I didn't know 
in my computer system how to take tax off. There was no mm -hmm. magic button. This was back before computers were as user-friendly as they are now, right? And I remember being, you know, at the time, I was very frustrated. I'm like, dude, just pay the 35 cents. You know, what's your problem? <laughs> you know, like, what's going on here? And and I remember kind of kind of getting, you know, in my mind. And then afterwards, after I'd cooled down, just being like, dude, like, what are you doing, man? Like, that was really pretty racist of you. Like, what are you doing? And I remember thinking about that. Uh, and, and moving forward to this, the, the situation, um, I look back now and I say, I wasn't trained on how to do that. Not because Blockbuster was this malicious corporation or because my bosses were all awful people or, or anything like that, but just because it was an oversight with Blockbuster that they happened to start off in the United States. And here I was working in, in, in uh, uh, Canada and a, a very multicultural area of Canada. I can't help but think that that might have been a similar situation in Montreal or at the Bank of Montreal, rather, where the teller was just, I don't know what to do. I don't have that information. Uh, are, are the systems that we have in the bank don't allow for me to have easy access to, to do this? Uh, the, the, you know, for any number of reasons, the teller just didn't know what to do and the bank managers didn't know what to do. Do you see the, let's call it for lack of a better term, or the, the racism or the discrimination or, or whatever term you want to use. Do you see that as a proper form of like there's malicious intent on making sure that the indigenous people can't actually access this money? Is it sheer ignorance on the systems that were put in place for the banking? Is it sheer ignorance on the computer systems that were, where, 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 what were the hurdles for that? What were the causes? for some, so many of those things? Yeah, I think the, the quick answer is yes to all those things, right? <laughs> <laughs> It's a complicated answer, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotta, I was expecting yeah, him to yeah, say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I gotta remember that like this stuff just didn't happen overnight. Like we've been right. working through this for, for generations, right? And and it speaks to, you know, you know first of all, you know, the, the, it's, it, the, 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 the real kind of, uh, I don't want to say blame, but the reality here is, is that, you know, I spoke to this a little bit earlier. Canada has a, Indigenous folks in Canada have a unique relationship and Canada holds a whole bunch of, of wealth in trust for Indigenous folks. And what Canada has not done a good job at, uh, and, and, and some would argue just a horrendous job at, is, is, is taking that responsibility seriously. Right, and so when we look at, and I'll use I'll use the GST exemption as a, as an example of technologies we're building to try and overcome that kind of scenario you've just indicated. You know, a responsible government would have required that companies build in a GST exemption for Exa those folks that were yes. entitled to that exemption, right? But Canada didn't do that. So, you know, as a result, um, one more thing that has created a barrier and limited, limited, isolated, and marginalized Indigenous folks, right? Um, just And that's just one example. So when you think about the amount of HST or GST that's paid to Canada every year that doesn't need to be, that should stay in the pockets of Indigenous people, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. So that 35 cents adds up on a per transaction basis. Mm -hmm. So if we can remove or if we can create technologies that keep that $200 million in the pockets of Indigenous folks, that is life-changing and that will, that will level the playing field, right? It'll also unlock that treasure that Canada holds in trust. Um, so these are the things like these antiquated processes, which either by design or intentionally continue to marginalize, isolate, um, and oppress Indigenous folks, um, sometimes because of inaction, but oftentimes because, um, you know, folks, um, uh, folks uh, don't want to acknowledge this unique relationship between Indigenous folks in this country, right? So I, I did, I did, and I'll reiterate, I did feel shame. So does that buy me any cred? 
I'm just, <laughs> yeah, you know, the, you know, the thing is, yeah, uh, I, I don't want you to feel shame. What I want you, you know, I always look at it this way that, you know, first, you know, we all have privilege, right? As I'm an indigenous person living in Victoria, my kids go to private school, right? Mm. I, 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 I acknowledge right now that I have privilege that other folk, indigenous folks don't have. My kids right. will have privilege. And, and I wrestle with this, you know, my wife and I talk about it all the time. Like, what are we, who are we raising here? Like, right. you know, <laughs> let's be really careful about this. Um, the, the, the key, th the thing here is, and this is the measure that I look for is that those conversations when people, you know, that example you've had there, you know, are people coming at this from a place of love, uh, and respect and integrity, uh, we will all have perceptions and, and, and ways we identify and, and define things. But if we lead with love and we lead with, and we lead with courage and we leave and we lead with, um, tolerance and we lead with acceptance, I think that's a good place. Um, and, and let's recognize and acknowledge that, uh, and, and see what we can do, uh, together in a way that's really good for all of us. Right. I want to give you a big hug right now. <laughs> I wish you were closer. What a beautiful way to say that, man. You don't want a hug from me right now. You get what I got. So I don't know what that is yet. <laughs> you know, I, I, none of this is easy stuff, right? That's the whole point. And, you know, we laugh a little bit. And you know, technology is finally at a place where, you know, we can use it to do business the way Indigenous people do business, right? I think we're at this sweet spot right now, and, and hopefully, it gets sweeter. Um, I don't profess to have all the answers and all this kind of stuff. We're just doing the best we can and we'll make some mistakes. And we'll be the first to say, hey, we're going to make some messy mistakes here. But, you know, again, we're leading with love. We're leading with integrity. We're leading with passion. We're leading, you know, we want to try and define this space in a way that makes sense for us as Indigenous people. And we're going to get some things wrong and that's okay. Uh, and, you know, I think, I think, um, you know, I think where we're at sometimes, and, and I don't want to overstate this in any way, but I think sometimes the courage isn't there. Um, we're so afraid of that we're going to offend somebody or be, you know, in, unintentionally hurtful um, that we lack the courage to actually do something substantive. And, and I would argue that, no, as long as you're coming from that place of love and respect and honor, um, you know, to have the courage to make some mistakes and, and, and push some boundaries and, and, create, a, and create, create some um, disruption, if you like, that allows for really good and healthy conversation, right? I, I know that you're you're uh, we're running near our time, so I, I don't want to over, uh, uh, overstep your time. But I, I I've got to ask just because it's been nagging on me since you first described kind of what one feather does. What does success look like? Like because you admitted kind of there's no finish line. No. You, you you've admitted kind of that we're going to make mistakes. So what does success look like? What, what what when will you be able to stop, turn to your 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 coworkers and say, "All right, great job, we we did this." Yeah, success, you know what success looks like? It's, it looks like uh, the acknowledgement uh, from our users and our clients that, um, yeah, we're, we're doing some really important work. Uh, when our when our users say, you know, for example, we do online status card renewal and, and you know, we've had folks just in tears, uh, you know, commenting to us. I have not been able to renew my status card for 12 years uh, right. because the process is so painful and so costly and so frustrating. Um, and I've done it in a half an hour on one feather and I got my new status card in the mail. Um, thank you. You know, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can't believe that I finally, you know, done this piece of work, uh, or folks that have voted in their first chief and council, you know, they're in their, they're in their forties or fifties. And it's the first time they participated in a, in a vote to elect chief and council because the vote, you know, the community exists in Northern Saskatchewan, but they live in Southern on, you know, they live in Southern BC, right. First time they've been able to, to participate in that governance. So, 
that's what success looks like. It's it's the it's those it's those little wins with people. The people, the people, mm-hmm. the people are telling us that that these things make a difference. They're also telling us when we get it wrong. You know that there's no there's no they don't pull any punches. You know what the hell are you idiots up to, right? And we get challenged too. You're like you know what are you going to do with this information? Who are you, right? Right. <laughs> Who's on your board of directors? You know are yeah. you truly indigenous? <laughs> Prove to us that you're an indigenous company. You know so we yeah. get both sides of that, right? And and both are equally as important, right? What a, what an interesting! I hadn't even thought about that. But when you talk about that digital identity, it comes down to kind of you guys trying to help the uh, uh, help your own people, of, of course, as well. And you're you're able to look and say, all right, how do we have that digital identity to prove that we're legit, so that other people trust us? That's right. Yeah. The the the, the politics that come up in the community, the tension there. Yeah. We are so complicit as Canadians in in perpetuating. Mm. It, it was interesting to me that, you know, digital identity, capital D, capital I, digital identity <laughs> came up as a, as a solution to, you know, help people access services online when we were living in the pandemic in a time where we weren't supposed to be physically close. Mm-hmm. That's, that was the big accelerator for that sure, system. Yeah. But, and I said this to Lawrence in the past, it's almost as if the, the momentum of that movement had been so fast and accelerated so much that all these more fundamental really basic and really, really tension-filled questions about lowercase d, mm-hmm. lowercase i, digital identity, were just completely forgotten about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get this crazy tension, eh? Like, um, uh, you know, our users want something quick and easy and fast, right? When we survey our folks around the importance of protecting digital identity, it's not up there on any, you know, it's not a big thing, right? We want quick and easy and fast. Our clients in Canada and other folks, you know, that we do, you know, the the folks we do work with, uh, that identity and data security and all that architecture is front of mind. That you know that and that ranks so much higher than the than the actual user experience, right? <laughs> so where do you find this balance, right? How do you where do you find this balance in all this stuff and be responsible? Because you can't have ease of use and and clean simple systems without sacrificing a security mm-hmm. and data element, right? You just you just can't. I mean, you know, this is we see that the use of blockchain and and those technologies, uh, you know, five years ago were not navigable. Not how do you say that word? Not navigatable. Not, not navigatable. Yeah. That's the way I would. With navigation, <laughs> they're not easy to navigate. Yeah, unless yeah. you were like a computer science engineer, right, or yeah. some geek that yeah. you know lived and breathed this stuff. And we move forward today. We use we incorporate those technologies into all of our into all of our systems. Precisely. Um, but but the yeah. user interface wouldn't know the difference, right? As far as they're concerned, uh, it looks all very simple and straightforward. So we do get a lot of questions. You know, like where is this yeah. data going? How is it being used? Um, because you, you kind of got to, you got to kind of walk that, you know, walk that, that path. And then, you know, with our clients, we're also very, very clear. This is, you know, we, what information do you need for this transaction to be completed? Right. So, Mm -hmm. so let's take GST exemption, for example, what data do you need? All you need is a registry number and a date of birth to issue exemption. That's it. You don't need to know their full name. You don't need to know their date. You know, you don't need to know their phone number. You don't need to know their address. You don't need to all all this stuff. We're going to give you exactly what you need to satisfy whatever regulatory or kind of requirement you have, but nothing more. And that's for this, you know, that's the element of that sovereignty, right? You don't have to turn over everything because we've already done a whole bunch of work to verify identity, to verify that you're resident on reserve. We've done that through multiple touch points and had a human being actually verify that. So that's part of that Mm -hmm. process, right? And so we've checked all those boxes. So you either trust us that that, yeah. that that is accurate or you don't. And if you don't, that's fine. Go go someplace else. Um, so that's, I think that's where we're going to see a little 
bit of leveling and pushback mm-hmm. around is, you know, you don't need to verify every single thing through that actually sucking that data out at every transaction point. That's not necessary. And, you know, as we kind of evolve in this space, I think, I think we'll see some adjustment there as organizations and businesses and even Canada mm-hmm. um, get out of this um, big data model, you know, where we have to have everything, right? And, and Indigenous folks, uh, First Nations themselves have certain data sovereignty rights. Yes. Um, and, and we talk about that at, perhaps in another podcast, but, you know, um, OCAP and those other, in yes. the work that's happening there and those kinds of things, right? There's a whole other element to the nation side of data sovereignty uh, and intelligence that we haven't even touched on today. Um, but you know, it's complex space, right? I, w- one of the things as we're talking about future podcasts and then, uh, I, I know again, we're really tight on time, but, um, one of the things that, that we need to talk about is just even the terminology that you were using when you were putting together one feather for people to go, because I remember when the truth and reconciliation, uh, re- uh, committee first kind of released their results and I was working in a news desk. And nothing would have been more hilarious for you, Lawrence, than to see a bunch of white people in a newsroom try to figure out what the hell was going on. <laughs> because we were all like, oh, shoot, I forgot all about this commission. What, were, what, what are they doing right now? And I reached out to um, uh, one of the chiefs in our area, Chief White Eyes, and was asking her. And I said, OK, so help me understand what the hay is going on here, because I don't really understand what the problem was. Uh, you know, ignorance is bliss type thing. And then she said, well, one of the problems is we don't even know as a group. We can't even decide on what we want to be called. You have some people comfortable being called Indians. You have some people comfortable being called First Nations. You have some people hate First Nation, hate yeah. Indians, hate, uh, want to be called Indigenous. Then you have people that say, I only want to be called by my tribe, but how do we identify what tribe you are unless you, you know, like, what are you going to wear a, a certain garb to identify what tribe you are all the time? And now how are we going to educate white people on what the garb to, to call you is, right? Uh, and it goes on and on. And so like, just even like the background on, on, uh, um, Canada has done a wonderful job of splitting up all the the, uh, the the different groups. And so like just even how you decided on terminology, I think would be a fascinating way because that would be part of the digital identity as well. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of nuts and bolt, bolt things here uh, that, that have specific terminology, like mm-hmm. self-sovereign identity, for example, is a version of capital D, capital I, digital mm-hmm. identity technology. Mm-hmm. But indigenous data sovereignty and the principles of ownership, control, access, and protection completely different and, and, and the philosophies are really important yeah. and and really muddy right like because you remember we've got indigenous communities and leadership and and just through all, you know generations of of that relationship with canada come at everything from a very kind of maternal or paternal kind of approach right so some first nations have a real hard time differentiating their data sovereignty from their members data sovereignty and they in fact assume that they own their members data and identity which is not accurate right so you've got this kind of weird you know you've got this kind of unique situation in Canada where me as an Indigenous person have Canadian rights and, and sovereignty, right, which which I understand and appreciate, and more and more our young users understand that. And then you've got a First Nation who has certain data sovereignty and rights that have to be married with mine. And then you've got Canada's rights under the Indian Act as, as part of that register. So it's, comp- you know, it's hugely complicated. And, and, and in some instances, you know, we are often educating our own users around where your digital identity sovereignty rights start and end right wow uh so it's complicated oh my right? it's, it's hugely complicated digital, right? digital yeah. rights is complicated enough Man. as you know but and as it is yeah and, and L- L- lawrence start getting getting notes together for the next podcast okay <laughs> would you and you know i i want, I want to just speak a little bit to the that kind of terminology of a first nation or indigenous if, if i can just for a second absolutely please, please, do. please yeah. do you know yeah. i think uh and i and 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 uh, come back to this you know um we have to be uh, you know i i guess i would suggest that we have to be um a little bit more kind of patient and tolerant around 
and, and not get so kind of absorbed by the words that we use, right? Because um, words are powerful and oftentimes they get weaponized. And this is, I think, part of the challenge, right? My grandfather used to say, uh, you know, we're Indians. And uh, I still call myself an Indian, right? Do I don't really. Re- I, I don't refer yeah. to myself as a First Nation. I mean, that's what I grew up with, right? That's what right. I've learned. Yeah, but yeah, I've yeah, been yeah. in I've been in communities where I've just been hammered around using that word, and I give mm-hmm. the backstory, and then everyone's like, "Oh, okay, ha ha ha, laugh, 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 chuckle, chuckle." Right. Um, so I think you know, coming at those experiences again from a place of love and respect and tolerance and understanding that each of us has a backstory that we know nothing about until someone mm-hmm. says it out loud, and so you know, Indigenous folks refer you know uh, largely to. Uh, I think a collection of both of all Métis, Innu, and 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 First Nations people, and First Nations people are made up of Indians and tribes, and you know all kinds of other things, and and um, you know uh, again, uh, I think I think we get ourselves into trouble when we try to kind of pigeonhole or kind of compartmentalize some of these things too quickly without understanding what the backstory is, and and every all of each of us has a story that will help better define who we are, and 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 help all of us, I think, be more acceptant. Uh, intolerant of who these people are and, and I think an understanding there I think opens the space for dialogue and engagement and real friendship and, and a lasting legacy of reconciliation right to come at such complicated subject matter from a position of courage and love and and to do it in the spirit of reconciliation is um, something that I'm really grateful to be able to do and so if, if you're up for it Lawrence I'd love to turn this into a series we'd love to have you back We've barely scratched the surface, but you know what what's really jumping out at to me anyways is particularly significant, at least in the context of who I am, and I, I think I'm speaking on behalf of you as well, Al, is this idea that we can hold space together a little bit. Yeah. When um Jeremy Dutcher had won his Juno in twenty eighteen, you guys might remember, the listeners, you guys might remember that he was cut off during his speech. And so when the Arkells got up on stage, they're like, No, fuck this. We're not we're not talking. Jeremy, mm-hmm. you get back up here and you're going to finish your speech. And he said, we got to hold space so we can have conversations and they're yeah. not going to be always fun. Mm-hmm. They're not always going to be, they're gonna be awkward, easy, yeah. they're, but they're going to be about stories and they're going to be about, yeah. Yeah. It, it could, you know, evidently there is going to be some laughter here. I think we've done a good yeah, job. Yeah. Of Absolutely. <laughs> I, and you know, I yeah. think it's so important, you know, and I think that's a perfect yeah. story and example of, of creating space to have this. And, and it's not always easy. Oftentimes it's really super hard. And, yeah. you know, just the idea of coming on here this morning caused me a little bit of anxiety, but we've created this space and, you know, have the courage just to kind of press through. Right. Um, and, uh, and just honor that. I think again, you know, I think you, you know, that if that space is filled, um, you know, with, with, with love and tolerance and respect, and, and I want to hear the stories because the stories are what define us, right? I mean, we're all people. So, you know, it's, it's <laughs> at the end of the day, it's not about the technology, but it's about people. So, you know, how are we going to, how are we going to do that in a way that uh, I think lifts us all up? I mean, we're focused on lifting indigenous people up and we hope that through that exercise, we lift all of Canada and we find mm-hmm. that we find the space to have a conversation and, and an engagement and an interview face that removes if you like or you know is the legacy is that it that that it created the space for um those biases those institutional intolerances those you know race you know the racism and discrimination to be weeded out and and pulled and 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 recycled into a way that uh helps us build a a better place and space for all of us to live breathe play and work i i want to say thank you for coming on the show in in a way that would almost suggest that, uh, you know, I appreciate your time having done this once. Well, we're not going to do this once. I want to keep doing this. So <laughs> as, I'm going to say. <laughs> as my buddy uh, Blue, Blue Thunderbird would say, we, he would say, Chimigwech, merci beaucoup. Thank you very much. 
Oh, yeah, fantastic. And uh, for our for we say, Hala uh, Kessler. Hala Kessler, good coin. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you, Thank you for the opportunity. Talk to you soon. You bet, buddy. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of What's That Noise? If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you have a topic or guest in mind, don't hesitate to get in touch at WTNCast. Stay tuned for bi-weekly episodes and until next time, keep listening to the noise.